Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Bunker. Pull down the blinds and encrypt your comms. Our fearless leader is on lockdown and back in his bunker after a long hiatus. He's providing his thoughts on the UFC, the state of MMA business, incriminating rumors, and the latest spicy headlines. Complete with the MMA tete-a-tete, featuring interviews with guests from the MMA community. Pay Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content if available at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here's your host, Kid Nate Wilcox. Cigar Page put together a great offering special for our readers. 60 G's, baby. The team at Bloody Elbow had some laughs thinking about those old school UFC fight bonuses and how far some of those early fighters have come. The 60 G's baby deal from Cigar Page is five 90 plus rated cigars and a travel humidor. This is a value of $90 that Cigar Page is offering Bloody Elbow readers for $25. While that cigar culture is alive and well in the MMA community, it may not be your thing. And it also makes an awesome gift for the holidays. You can grab this deal today at cigarpage.com slash 60 G's baby. That's cigarpage.com 60 GS baby. Hey, hey, we are back. And by we, I mean me, Steffi Haynes and Zach Arnold. And guess what? We have taken over Kid Nate's MMA bunker again. Yes, his sawed-off shotgun with the uh, salt pellets is by the door. His attack dog, Preston, is out patrolling the front yard. We've got the blinds drawn and the curtains closed. And Zach is here to give us the latest on Power Slap and all of the extracurriculars surrounding it that are probably more important than the actual slapping around of big dudes. This is important stuff. Zach, welcome back to the bunker. Well, it's good to be here. I'm glad you dismissed Nate. (laughs) Nate has a lot of stuff on his plate, so I've been helping out by uh, snagging you over here, and you have been very gracious with your time. You write tremendous articles. I mean, there is a pair up on Bloody Elbow right now. Listen, folks. If you're long on time and short on content, please read these articles. They're so important, information-packed, really good stuff. But if you don't have time for that, that is why Zach is here, because we're going to go point by point through those two articles, because they're a match set. They're part one and part two. And so we're going to go through point by point right here, right now, and do that for you. So Zach, my first question to you. Why was the meeting to sanction Power Slap held on a Saturday and not any Saturday? They held it in the morning and it was on the day of the Devin Haney fight. Why did they do that? When we're talking about they, we're talking about California, the state of California, which is the second major state to officially approve a temporary license for Power Slap. I just am bewildered that a state agency would go into a vote on a Saturday morning on a 10 a.m. the day before a fight 
at the Chase Center with Devin Haney. And with no fanfare, no notice, passed through one of the most controversial um, license votes in the, in the modern history of combat sports. And I wouldn't even call this, this is not combat sports. It's not even an exhibition. It's not even professional wrestling. We're talking about inherently the most violent um, spectacle where there's a question about whether or not there's even an audience. We don't even know that. And yet, on a 6-0 vote, it quietly passed in San Francisco with no debate, no sort of pushback, and nobody, including you and I, were in that room, or at least they thought no one was in the room. And as we've exposed in our two-part series of Bloody Elbow, we were in the room, and we have a lot of information that never would have ever made the light of day if not for our reporting. Why did they not let anyone know? Why was there no video or audio? Because typically... We have access to these things. Where were the wires crossed there? This meeting took place in a very nondescript area in San Francisco, you know, a few minutes away from the Chase Center. Not a place you would expect a state meeting of this level, especially with some of the heavyweight people that were in the room. There were only 20 people or so in the room, including uh, Governor Gavin Newsom's best friend, Mr. Doug Hendrickson, a famous NFL agent, and Ronda Rousey's mother, and UFC uh, Chief Business Officer Hunter Campbell. So there were heavyweights in this room, a nondescript room, very cramped, no audio, no video. Nobody is certain why this was done the way it was done, why there was no transparency. But as you read through the quotes in our articles and you go through the subject matter that we review, you probably have a pretty good sense that it was never thought that any of this material would ever make the light of day, but it did. And we put it out there for your consumption and you can make your opinion on it. You can decide how you want to feel on this. I would say one thing though. I would say that if they felt so confident about this, they wouldn't have done this at a 10 AM on a Saturday morning. And they certainly wouldn't have paired this with bare knuckle for a vote on that too. So it's two for one, one's giving political cover for the other. Now, how did we get access to the quotes that you have? Well, that, that's for the imagination. And uh, let's put it this way. If someone challenges us, we have the evidence. Perfect. So uh, basically an anonymous person gave it to us, correct? Well, the investigation into this whole story was about a month long, but we didn't know about the meeting until about a week before it was announced. This was not announced as an emergency meeting. It was just fast-tracked and completely buried so that no one in the public would even know or have time to organize the protest. There's no protest. This was quietly done, and it seemed very conveniently, based on the quotes that we have in the articles, that it was largely preordained before the meeting, which felt more ceremonial. At the top of the first article, you immediately go into Mark Hunt's lawsuit. Please let everyone know how that figures into all this. 
If you recall UFC 200, it was Mark Hunt against Brock Lesnar. This was around the time that UFC was in the process of being sold to Endeavor. So this was a huge fight for monumental reasons. Brock Lesnar was getting back into the USADA drug testing pool at the time. So Mark Hunt obviously had a disadvantage against Lesnar in the first place. He was in a very disadvantageous position. And when the results came out from USADA after the fight about Mr. Lesnar being on drugs, obviously Mr. Hunt was very, very upset. And he filed suit against the UFC. And from that point forward, unfortunately for him, he got a very hostile judge who never believed in any of the causes of actions that he sued UFC for, warned him in various motions that he should more or less retract the causes of action, and that if he didn't do it, she would rule against him. And she kept her word. He faced a very hostile judge, and in the process, because he appealed the initial dismissal of his causes of action, that created case law. And that case law in the Ninth Circuit, which covers Nevada and California and other states like that, now that rejection of those claims is binding. And it's going to take a long time for the courts to unwind that decision by Judge Jennifer Dorsey. And including in that opinion of hers was a segment about doping. And when we talk about doping, how do you prove that steroid usage by a fighter in a cage creates more damage? And Mr. Hunt clearly thinking the same way that you and I would think that someone who is under the influence gets behind a car and is charged by police, you know, for DWI, he obviously sued on that similar premise. But the judge came back to him and said, well, you can't prove or disprove that steroids create an impact on a fighter's performance to beat the crap out of you unless you are permanently disabled or killed. And so that is now the case law that brings us to power slap because that case law involves UFC as a defendant. So they obviously had first inclination of what kind of impact that court case would have on power slap and how it really turbocharged the immunity, the legal immunity, the protections that they would have if they were promoting ultra hazardous risky activity like power slap fighting as long as it's sanctioned by a state commission. They no longer have liability. They don't have to worry about this. That's the value of what the Mark Hunt case versus UFC and, and the result from that was to really boost the prospects of legal protection for promoting power slap. Did Endeavor know that power slap was going to get sanctioned in advance? In what sense? Meaning when they went into that meeting, they already had graphics made up and public statements made up and press releases. I mean, it was almost instantaneous from the moment that meeting ended that they were putting stuff out. It seemed like they knew in advance it was going to happen. What we do know is that there was a pre-made graphic by USC that was released right after the vote, about a 6-0 decision, 
So, yes, on the surface, it certainly does look like they knew what the outcome of the California meeting was going to be. And we also know that at least with a couple of different media writers that the executive officer, Andy Foster, had contacted those writers to notify them of what happened in the room. Obviously, I was not contacted about that, and that's fine with me. I'm not exactly a booster for power slap or UFC, and I don't need to be. But I thought it was very curious who got information, who didn't get information, why there was no transparency, why the public did not get to see the meeting and make up their own mind. So I noticed that in your article, there's a very large, substantial portion about written legal analysis. Tell us from top to bottom how that works. Like it. If it's a a normal thing and this is an abnormal situation, explain to us about why written legal analysis is important and why it didn't happen here, why you think it didn't happen here. For something as serious as the state of California giving its approval to sanction slap fighting, something as hazardous that could be an activity when someone gets permanent disability or gets killed. Mm -hmm. You might think someone would want to put their name in, at least on a legal opinion and writing, whether it's the attorney general's office or <laughs> someone at least in Sacramento would have said, hey, uh, you know, OK, we've, we've gone through this legal review and, you know, everything looks OK. No, there, there was nothing in writing. And in fact, what was interesting is 48 hours before the meeting. So imagine we have a meeting where there's no audio, no video. And it was only 48 hours before that meeting, we had a 228-page document dump. Not once in any of those 228 pages was there anything from any state attorney writing a legal opinion about whether or not power slap fighting should be sanctioned by the California State Athletic Commission. There's not, not one peep. That seems odd. It's very odd because, obviously, given the risk of injury and lawsuit, you would think a state attorney would have a legal opinion about this matter. But instead, any legal analysis was just spoken at that commission meeting. None of the public knew about it. No one will understand what was said unless it was for our articles. We actually broke down what was said in the meeting And we pointed out the very curious nature of it. And their legal analysis based in the room was this concept that, well, we don't have to approve power slap fighting. We'll just give them a waiver. But, of course, you and I know, given the Mark Hunt case, the entire exercise of voting on power slap was to give California seal of approval to power slap so that UFC would not get sued. That was the whole point of the meeting. So this felt very much like a dog dog and pony show. Wow. Okay, let me ask you something else. There was a term in that section called a waiver asserting jurisdiction. Could you break that down for our listeners, please? The one attorney in the room. Now imagine a room with less than 20 people in the room. The one attorney who did not publish a a written legal opinion either himself. He posited the idea that, well, if you say no to sanctioning power slap or you don't even vote on it, well, we could just let the activity happen 
we don't have to actually assert jurisdiction over it. We don't have to, you know, consider it a sport. It's not our problem. It could be a local law enforcement issue, you know, but his argument was, well, if we sanction this, at least we can send cease and desist letters to outlaw slap fighting organizations throughout the state, which is bizarre because what is a cease and desist letter going to do? That's not going to do anything. So this felt very backwards. This this does not feel like the full force and endorsement of the state of California. This felt like, no, it's your hot potato. No, it's your hot potato. No, it's your turn. No, it's my turn. No, no, no. It's your turn. Back to you. It felt very much like blame shifting by everyone involved. Why did they rush this so much? Because this thing happened so fast. Why? Look at the timeline. The week before, around Thanksgiving, UFC announces a major event in February in Anaheim. Mm. Then a week after, the state discloses to the public that they're going to have a power slap sanctioning meeting the day before or the day of 10 a.m. of the Devin Haney fight in San Francisco when no one would obviously be in attendance or be organized to protest it. This is the classic example of an inside job. People in the background, obviously, were very much under pressure to get this done with no one knowing what was said. But if it wasn't for our articles on Bloody Elbow, the world would not know what had happened in that room. Why is it important that we know? No company. No person, no rich person outside of UFC would be able to do something like this. No one else would be able to pull this off. There's no audience for power slap fighting. There is no market. They haven't sold any tickets for a power slap event. Why are we even talking about this? We're talking about this because UFC decided to push it. It's been a big part of their agenda. They're now pushing it all over the UFC YouTube. They're in your face about it. And in 2024, if you think you can avoid this topic as a UFC fan, think again. It's going to be in your face. UFC is making it a thing. We can go into the motives later about that, but they're making it a thing. And now it's everyone's problem. And you can thank California for that. You mentioned that California was the second major state who was the first nevada (laughs) (laughs) we all knew that nevada yes (laughs) goes without saying but i needed to hear it they lumped in bare knuckle first and and you you mentioned that one provided cover for the other explain that please bare knuckle has been so controversial for so long because of the image and the blood and the look that obviously power slap has its own image and violence issue. Well, you would want to cover yourself with something that's just as visually violent, if not more visually violent, and that's bare knuckle boxing. That's why the marriage of those two from state to state is going to be a marriage 
for licensing in throughout the country. Define the Zufa myth. Now, I know what this is, but a lot of people out there don't. And it's a big deal because I can't tell you how many times when I put when I say something that is not friendly to the UFC or friendly to Dana White or friendly to the Fertitas, whatever, people always come to me and say, well, Dana White and the Fertitas saved MMA. Tell us about that Zufa myth. The Zufa myth is essentially this idea that this corporation took something that was supposedly unregulated, not safe, and was a complete circus, and they took it from the dredges, the barges, and they cleaned it up, made up their own rules, and made it mainstream. They've been selling that myth for UFC for 20-plus years, and it's been the most successful myth in modern combat sports. It's, it's in a myth because the unified rules in 2000, the year before Dana White and the Fertitas bought UFC, the unified rules in 2000 from Big John McCarthy, Nick Lambeau in New Jersey, the state of California, they were the parties that were engaged in modernizing mixed martial arts. Dana White and the Fertitas came in, took that work, and then managed to package it into a marketing uh, campaign. And now everyone credits them with mainstreaming mixed martial arts. Now they're doing the exact same sales pitch for Power Slap. They did the same thing at the California meeting on December 9th. They said, oh, this Power Slap fighting thing, it's underground, it's in Russia, now it's in middle America, they're having 47 round fights. We have to legalize and sanction this. We're going to clean it up. We've come up with our own rule book. We're going to make it mainstream, and we're going to make it safe. And so give us first mover status. Give us the approval so that no one else can do it. And they got their way again. So they're basically trying to say they're the gold standard? Oh, <laughs> don't make me laugh. Yes, yes, they are the same. They are the gold standard in the Golden State. Yes, they are. Oh, where were the doctors? There were no doctors in this meeting. Where were they? To access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber. To do that, go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcast and you will get new shows throughout the week, including the MMA Bunker and MMA Tete-a-Tete shows with Kid Nate, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey Not the Face Podcast, the MMA Vivisection main card and prelims UFC preview shows, the sixth round post-fight show, the Show Money podcast, and the MMA Depressed Us.